All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Sex and the Bull City. I am Dr. Sophia Caudill, and I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I'm really happy to be here with y'all today. I have one of my favorite people um, in in the world of sexology and sex therapy um, that I've I've met and had the pleasure of learning from here with me today, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk with her just in general about anything, but specifically we're going to be talking about intimacy, and I'd like to introduce Dr. Marilyn Volker, and she is a clinical sexologist extraordinaire out of Miami, Florida, and truly has been a wealth of information for me the past few years as I've been becoming a sex therapist, adding to my expertise as a sex addiction therapist. So this has really been a rounding out of the work for me. And every time I was in a class with Dr. Volker, I knew I was going to learn not just the topic, but so much more about people and about how to make sex therapy be something of the norm, which when you think about it, wow, is that, is that an oxymoron? So, yeah, so I want to, I want to just say welcome, Dr. Volker. I'm just thrilled to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you, Dr. Sophia, and stars to you, because it's important that everybody, wherever they are, has uh, information from your podcast. So it's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. You're always so, so sweet. Um, first, I mean, I have some questions for you. I mentioned to you before we got started that I might want to ask a few basic general questions before we get into the eight types of intimacy. But whenever I hear you in a class, you literally have done every job I can think of under the sun regarding sex therapy. So I'm, I'm curious how you got into this field. Do you mind just sharing with us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this? Because I know that you are the daughter of a minister. Right, right. Oh, and my, I did not intend, this is sign language for dream, you have something in your brain and you have to go way out here to get it. My real intention and my dream was to teach deaf children. And so um, I, that, I was an arrow kid, and I knew I wanted to get my degree, and I, I knew I wanted to get out of this small town in Ohio. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just really um, was on teaching deaf children. And so my undergraduate from Kent State, my graduate uh, from Miami, uh, University of Miami, um, is in deaf ed and special ed. And so I work with many, many uh, people with challenges who've taught me a lot about sexuality, but I really just wanted to teach deaf kids until, mm -hmm, you know, you can plan on something. And I always tell people, you can be plan on something and then a major thing happens. Um, and it could be an impactful person or an event. And this was an irascible little boy. His name was Brian. He had the B, B uh, uh, sign and finger spelling in American for by his face because he was a beautiful brown child and BB. And so Brian, I told all the kids, bring me words. Remember, this is, I'm almost 75. So this was like way before Google. And so I said, bring me words because all words mean something. And so I taught them to sign and to say and to speak and to whatever ways that how they communicated. 
So, he brings me, I'll never forget it, marker person, marker event. He comes running in with three words from bathroom walls. Bathroom walls. Now, in all my classes, high school, undergrad, graduate, never did I take a sexuality class. It was not required, and I never had them. So, of course, I'm the most unprepared person. And although my parents said, there's nothing nasty on your body, we never really talked about it. They, and they said, we are to value all people. And the word all, to me, meant all. <laughs> Not just white, heterosexual, privileged, uh, you know, temporarily able-bodied, um, younger, older, all, all. So the interesting part was that when he brought me these words, I got scared because I didn't know how to answer them. I didn't even know how to sign them. Well, half of one mother, but I now know how to sign all of them. And it, I told him the words were nothing. Now this boy, absolutely, and you all will have marker people, absolutely in your life. He just came right up to my chin and signed, liar you, mm -hmm. liar you. So, and I was like, no, no, they don't mean anything. And he said, you lie. All words mean something. And I went home. And the real marker event was he never brought me another word again. See, I had broken his trust. And now I could say, I don't know, let's find out, you know. But um, I went home and I thought, you're a teacher, Marilyn. You're a teacher. There has to be a way. And so that's why this former minister's kid, former minister's wife, and... Um, single mom for a while, and now mom of, we got four kids and 12 grandkids, and you know, we got one great grand, this is a mob, we have a mob, and so um, that's how I became a sexologist, really, because of this beautiful brown-skinned boy named Brian, that's the truth. That's a really touching story, I mean, I, I understand you're right, we do all have these marker events that we can have the best laid plans for what we're going to do with our life. And then life happens and we end up doing something related, but, but still with a different twist. And so uh, I can understand and relate. I, I also started out in the school system, so I, I can appreciate a lot of your story. And, and, and yes, it does sound like it was, there was a, a real interest to you to be able to have those tough conversations with all people. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because sex can be very, very difficult for most people to talk about. It's, it's easy for us because this is what we do every day. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people that come to us, it's, it's very shaming and uncomfortable for a lot of reasons, not just sexual acting out behaviors, but, you know, religious reasons or how we were brought up um, or just not having talked about it. And it was just something that they don't have the, the experience of talking about it. So um, I know you well enough to know that you make these conversations very relaxed and comfortable. So I know that you're like that with everyone you talk with about, about this. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I, I guess because I was brought up where um, my parents would say, you'd be defaming your creator if you thought something was nasty. Now, they born in 1900s, okay, they weren't trained at all about how to talk. We didn't have books and materials. 
But that was a very important thing to me was that children learn about their digestive system. They learn about their immune system. They learn about, you know, all kinds of systems of their body. And why wouldn't we talk about your sexual system? Because that really pushes them out to other places to get information. I personally believe parents are the primary sex educators and there's wonderful materials now that can help. Um, and also um, that for me was why I decided I also needed it. it. I just wasn't for that degree. I wanted to be a parent and a person that felt comfortable. So I'm very comfortable going into churches and synagogues and, and mosques and working with um, either very religious or non-religious people. I'm very, very comfortable in that. I'm grateful. Yeah, I mean, you, you have so many gifts, so I know that, that I know that you help so many people. I just think it's, I think it's really fabulous. Um, well, I did want to get into what, would, what I wanted to, to really dig in with you about are your eight types of intimacy, and I'm going to pull that up in, in just a minute. And, you know, why this is important, I mean, there's a hundred reasons why this is important, but for me, I work with, with couples who... Um, are working through sex addiction. And, and so there's a lot of recovery work that has to happen for both partners. And eventually, ultimately, we get to the place where it's time to learn about what is healthy sex going to look like for a couple. It's, it's maybe there's going to be some similarities and some differences to how things used to be in the past. And when I came across this eight types of intimacy from you, it was it was really, I mean, I would say a marker event for my professional career it really was. And um, it and I'm, I'm so glad that we're going to go over. I think this is going to be helpful for so many people. But it was it was really a way uh, to help couples connect in a lot of different ways, not just, you know, boom, boom, go to the bedroom and, and then we're, there's sex, which is, you know, sort of really does not make sense for for how people learn to reconnect again after sex addiction um, has has been so so traumatic. So I'm going to actually pull it up and then let's see if we can have a conversation about this. So let me cover up my my desktop. So I can see you. I cannot see me. I don't know that I need to see me. Okay, there we go. So. Let me see if I can move this a little bit. Well, Great. You're Perfect. The techno, I'm the techno dino, and you're the techno efficient here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, have to give, I have to give credit to, uh, and, and especially thank you for talking about lots of people in recovery, because this is where it really emerged. I was, um, again, very privileged to go into many arenas. A lot of people... In the 1970s, when I started, it, they were afraid to um, to work on this. So I said, we got to have dream teams. And I, I, I want people who are specializing in recovery, and I want people who are in recovery talking, and I want people who are knowing about the medications or, or the pharmaceutics. And so what happened was there was about 10 women, and we met um, for uh, different weeks and we went over what what emerged was they all had been sexually abused everything that they went through the focus was really on the focus about the sexuality part and so many of them had been um, uh, 
trafficked or sex worked or so the interesting part of it was um, when we looked at it when they put sex down not that sex was bad but the patterns that they had or the power and control that was a part of it not their control when they put that down in recovery for a while they realized oh my gosh did you ever have affection without expectation that something sexual was going to happen? Which is why a lot of couples, oh man, if I start kissing or hugging, oh man, it's going to lead to something. So the interesting part of it was they realized what would affection be like for affection's sake. Some people were touchers, some people were talkers, they found, but they had to explore Many, many, all of them, well, I have to say all of them in social intimacy, the next kind, um, I call it the vertical before the horizontal, is that a lot of people needed, oh my gosh, just to connect. And they all said if they were going out, sex was expected. And that was a part of the deal, the date. So a lot of women said, I have no idea what it's like to go out just to be with another person and to enjoy all right, so, and then comes emotional. Whoa, that was a toughie. That was a toughie, talking about feelings. And so when I work with couples, especially in recovery, because so many people hide their feelings and people who've been physically, emotionally, or sexually abused, or were taught it's a sin, or there's a lot of messages that go with that. And so the acting out, the escape, means I'm going to, just kind of keep this um, feelings. And so a lot of people don't even, they didn't even know. These women go, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel. So it took some time. Um, and a lot of them were angry, which is anger is different than abuse. Behind anger is really a lot of interesting feelings as well. Intellectually, some of the couples that I work with, in fact, I was just working, I get very privileged to work with um people in the military getting deployed. We call it booting up your relationship. And when they come back, rebooting um, at Yellow Ribbon programs. Um, intellectually, one of the soldiers said, I like to get turned on between the ears first. I like to really have some kind of conversation. He called it an arousing conversation. It didn't really have to be about sex. All right. But the interesting part, intellectual intimacy, which is usually talking about facts. Emotional is, of course, the feelings. Spiritual can be religious or not. It could be something that we believe in and, and feel strongly about saving whales or our, our world. And um, so that's, that's an interesting one as well. Physical does not mean having sex. It doesn't mean touching. It means you're doing something together, biking, hiking, um, cooking, so the interesting thing, dancing, those are things that can combine, by the way, with it. Aesthetic is not your butt. The teenagers call it the butt thing, uh, the ass thing, because when I'm talking in high schools to our teenagers, I like to present this as, what are you ready for? How do you express these? And what don't you want? I'll do this, but not this. A boundary, a boundary. So the women in the group that were in recovery, again, said all the aesthetic things had to be something around sex. 
And so it was so interesting by the time they got to sex, yes, they were sexual beings. However, they realized, oh my gosh, everything is related and I need to know me in other areas in recovery. So it was again another marker event that's how if i had a tattoo dr sophia i'd put a tattoo on my back of the eight types of intimacy <laughs> i can't tell you i always start with couples on the eight types of intimacy because sometimes a sex problem is not just that so i hope it helps your listeners uh, this i mean this is huge and so i i, I want to talk about the sexual though What's the difference between between outer course and intercourse? I get that question a lot. Yes. You know, we're, we started um, in the 1980s, well, in the 70s, just to give um, some, again, I have to give honor to people who, who came and said, I didn't plan anything. They okay, can we do this? And in the 70s, um, three young gay men came to me. I was directing an institute on sexism and sexuality at that time. And um, at that time, if you had a penis, you couldn't take things like home ec or typing. I mean, it's so odd now. If you had a vagina, you couldn't take auto mechanics or anything like that. It was a shop that was called. It's so weird to think of that now. But so we started the first LGBT group in the 70s at Miami Dade. And it's now morphed into a lot of GSA groups and our safe schools and pride lines. So I'm very proud of all of the students and teachers that were involved. Um, the, uh, and then in the 80s, in the early 80s, um, I was approached by an endocrinologist and a social worker who said, Marilyn, something big is happening and we want you to be a part of it. And that was the first time that we really set up our first uh, HIV AIDS project here in Miami. And we had only, there was no HIV, well, it wasn't even called HIV because we thought, interestingly enough, only gay men had T cells. But if we looked around the world, of course. So the interesting part was that we only had New York, gay men's health crisis, and LA, um, gay men's health crisis. And so we really modeled that a lot and we had to tell people that they had this virus. And it was so interesting to see how, of course, in one moment, your life changes, as, as lots of people know, as we've gone through this corona, all right? Your life can change. Well, the teenagers, actually, to get to your question, it was the teenagers and the people at our AIDS projects who said, Okay, so anything outside the body is safer than going in. And yes, that was true because at the beginning, we really had to be careful about a lot of things, all right? Blood and semen were the biggies, absolutely. So the interesting part about and semen aren't only those Navy people. This is, I have to joke about some things because I have heard, oh my gosh, the best and the worst of jokes from people who live horrific things because laughter is one of those things that help. Well, at first it got to outer course and intercourse. And then the teenagers, of course, they have to come up with, they go, oh, it's skin, not in. And so they have little raps about it, skin, not in. I'm, I'm going like, yes, go, go teach. 
And um, so I'm, that's how we got to outer course and intercourse. And by the way, it also is helpful in sex therapy when we go step by step by step to rebuild um, as to the the skin touching, sensate focus, mm -hmm. not focusing on genitals, um, that and so cellular memory, that's really important. So we go step by step, as I know you know. And that's where the outer and inter comes as well. That's really helpful. Um, I, I think that that's going to be really helpful to any anybody who listens, that there, this is such a, um, you know, the way I think about this is sexuality is so much more than just intercourse. And I love the way you explained outer course, that it's, it's the touching of, of all parts. And, you know, because... Most people, unless you're a, a therapist or a sex therapist, don't know what sensate focus is. But yet some people who have really healthy sexuality, they do that. They just don't know that that's, that's what the clinical uh, yeah. therapy is called. So, um, you know, that's just a really lovely way to explain it. So thank you for that. You're welcome. One more thing that mm -hmm. the women found and that um, what we developed was, was uh, a projects on body mapping and so because so many women it wasn't about their pleasure or arousal it was that what they had to do so they honestly didn't always know how their body was aroused so when I work with couples I want them I like them to do the body mapping or to see where would you like to start what happens and how how can you relax receive and then see what happens with arousal as well and that's true for men, too, because a lot of men who have gone through trauma, they really appreciate not having to, as, as this one guy said, I always had to get up, get in, get out, get off, goodbye. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And so he said, I really like that I can take my time, too. Yeah, that, that's a, that's got, that has to be very, um, it's very freeing for men, especially to not feel like they have to perform all the time and yes. that they too um, can learn how to just be and enjoy and feel and sort of see what happens next naturally to truly be in the moment. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought men up because when you were describing that a group of women helped you create these eight types of intimacy. I was going to ask you, how did, how, how do men in your experience respond to, to these eight types of intimacy? Well, they really like it because it gives um, a map. I always, you know, ask about um, when you learn, let's say, whatever job males and females have, you have a plan, you have a plan. And if you are wanting to enhance your intimacy, you want to know a plan. And so men have really responded well to this. Like, okay, well, we got a plan. And it's not that everybody agrees on everything. Um, in fact, communicating is a very hard thing um, for a lot of people talking in I statements. I, and I like for couples to check in weekly, just a weekend, like in business. My husband's a businessman and he says, He's a street kid from Philly made good. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I can brag about him for sure um, and other things. But, but the interesting part is that he says if something's not working in business, 
you don't continue to do it. He says, you're going to lose money, honey. And so when I present it to men about a plan, oh, many times it's a big relief. If they also want to understand how women respond, and I'm talking about now women who go through life with them, okay? Two cars, two kids, two jobs, two mortgages, no kids, furry babies, whatever. Okay, so the interesting part is how do we begin to manage these eight types of intimacy and how do we do this? Well, when people talk in I statements once a week, emotional intimacy, I liked this I was challenged by this. I'd like to try this. It doesn't mean the other person's going to say, I'm in. And so that part is really, you, you're not always going to like what you hear. That's different than abuse. Okay. Don't always have to like what you hear. You may not always understand it. Really? Wow. Totally different experience for me. And you don't always have to do it. I can do this but not this. Now, there are a lot of men in recovery too, and I'm so glad that you're talking about this, Dr. Sophia, because a lot of men have said to me, now, there are women who act out sexually too, So, but because you put it in with men, I'm thinking particularly of several men right now that are really looking at, I had to be sitting, looking at porn, touching my penis in a certain way in order for me to get aroused. And so when they put that down in recovery because it was controlling them, I'm not against adult films, but when it controls you and your life gets unmanageable, okay. So the interesting thing was that when they put that down, it was like a drug, an escape, and they had to have a plan. You put something down, you gotta put something in its place. And so they were very, I think most all the guys were like, oh, okay, 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 this is what. And sex was even responding different because it wasn't based on escape. So sometimes then people felt scared. Oh my God, oh my God, where's that, what I call the high, the drug high of escape. So they learned as well as their partners, because I work with same-sex couples too, is that, is that, there's a depth of intimacy. It isn't always that, woof, okay, really? I'm turned on, aroused, let's do it. Well, yes, that could happen. However, they got skilled. And again, I'm grateful as we check in about this. Skilled in communication is a big thing to get skilled in and not to be afraid of asking or saying. And it's really been interesting, as I know you know, and you've helped couples, to really work um, with these eight types, yes. So this, along with with the body mapping, I've I've found really for men and for women, is so empowering to to have these two tools and and not, you know, not somehow we were talking about men, but and, I, and my men that are in recovery love this that they they feel like this is this itself is a map. Not not just the body map that you were talking about a few minutes ago, which is also very empowering. What you know, where do you like to be touched? What do you like? What do you not like? Um, but then this is also a map for um, and, and my guys. What they, what they when they look at this, they're like, oh my gosh, 
look at all the things that, that I wasn't doing. And now I know that these are things I can do. And this is great. This is how I'm going to connect with my partner. And, and for women, when I work with them, um, they almost want to look at this and, and say to their part, their, their male partner, if, if it's a um, opposite gender coupleship, look, see, I told you, these are all the things <laughs> that I needed that I wasn't getting. And so, but this is a great, it's a great place for couples, uh, all types of couples to be, to have those conversations for what their needs are and what they are comfortable and willing to give to each other. And I just love, I love these two things, this and the body map. They're, they're so concrete and and they it really takes a lot of the guesswork out, which I also hear is like it's a real killer for intimacy is having to read someone else's mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also the the interesting part is people like numbers. They seem to relate to numbers. I do, but but I've seen a lot of people um, because it's it's um, I always ask people particularly guys, because most guys, most guys have more testosterone, all right? Most guys um, have, if they have a guy brain, they're going to have a thinner corpus callosum, means they can focus faster, okay, which is why I told my minister father when I was taking classes, I think God must have been a guy because he made men so efficient in sex response, okay? So I always ask guys, do you ever start a car, truck, in fifth gear? No. Right, why? Well, it'll stall. Yes. And so when you look at this, what you're doing is you're going through these different gear shifts to really, I call it marinating the meat. Over the years, you, you know, you come up with these, these uh, expressions that people seem to really relate to. And marinating the meat means, oh, I have to go through, and if somebody says, do I have to, always go through these eight types i go do you ever start a car in fifth gear although although sometimes a partner could say this is for you this is just for you and it's all right because then there's a balance a balance in that um so it's been interesting oh and by the way the four gear shift see there's another number here it goes talk doesn't have to be sexy talk right away okay touch that's where to touch, and and what could be triggering. What could be triggering? No, 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 that's not good. Time, for some people it does take time, and trust. And so if trust has been broken, it's very, very important to be working on the trust building as well in order to really relax, respond, and enjoy, and enjoy. So I'm very impressed when people are able to do that as well. You're right about about trust, especially with, with the couples that we have in, in my practice, uh, with myself and my associates, that when betrayal has happened, we we are not getting to these eight types of intimacy like in the first or second session. It's way down the road. There's so much so much work that, that has to happen. Uh, there's just there's a lot that has to happen before we get to this typically. So um, that that was really important. I've never heard about the four gear shifts. I was writing that down furiously. So I appreciate your sharing that. I'm going to add that for sure. Well, I'm going to stop share and get us back together. There we are. And I just want to say this has been so lovely 
Thank you so much for sharing your time with us this morning. Um, we are we are today is the fifteenth of June, and we're we're still in the middle of COVID. I, I didn't mention, and so um, I'm here at my house. And Dr. Volker, I'm I'm assuming that's that's your home. You've got all this wonderful wall of pictures. Mom, I love. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a that's a great backdrop. It's perfect. It's very you. I mean, just you're such a people person. It's it's wonderful. Well, this has been such a great conversation and I'm excited for all of my clients and everyone else to listen and learn from you Dr. Volker you are really a wealth of information and I really appreciate you being with us today so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and and stop recording and thank you again so much thanks for being you're here welcome. you're welcome and to everyone out there happy sexuality please go see a counselor who's trained Dr. Sophia is great and I have one more little tip mm-hmm. if somebody's in recovery there's a wonderful, it's another number, the nine barriers to intimacy. That's Dr. Spring, Dr. Spring's book. Um, oh, wait a minute. Nine barriers to intimacy. Wait, wait, wait. Volker's going ahead. Nine barriers is Rosalini and Warden for your listeners. Rosalini and Warden, barriers to intimacy for people in recovery. And there's nine of them. And so Dr. Spring's book, because when you were talking about trust, is why it's called After the Affair. And the reason I like her book is because it feel it, 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 there's feelings and strategies for both partners, for both. And so, oh, I'm grateful for all the resources and for you, oh, helping so many people. Thank you so much. Those are great resources. I hope everyone gets them. Thanks, Dr. Volker. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Be safe out there. Bye-bye.